you got your Bibles, grab them, please, and go to the book of Acts. And Conrad, I hate to do this, but can you get me a, a bottle of water or something? I think I drank too much coffee this morning. Somebody told me that coffee actually sucks oxygen out of your system. I don't know if that's true or not. I haven't stopped drinking it. In fact, I drank too much of it. But anyway, maybe that's why my mouth is dry, but I'm not going to be able to go on here without some water. But if you got your Bibles, go to the book of Acts. So for those of you that don't know, uh, this year in 2020, um, we just feel like the Lord wanted us to read through the New Testament together as a church. And so we're reading one chapter a day, five days a week, and we're just all on the same Bible reading plan. And it's been very good so far, just uh, the unity and and oneness that, that has come from it. And uh, every week so far, I've just heard testimonies from people just saying how it's changing them and it's been encouraging them. Uh, it's been encouraging to them just to know that not only are they reading the scriptures and the encouragement that they're getting from the scriptures themselves, but also uh, just from the fact of knowing that other people, other brothers and sisters in the body of Christ uh, are also reading the same thing um, and just knowing how to pray for each other and to encourage one another. And this past week, we were in the book of Acts uh, chapters 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9, and I'm going to be, thank you. There was no sneaky way for him to get me a water. He just had to come out and come out and do it. And uh, anyway, so we were, yeah, we're in chapters 5 through 9 this past week, and and really, uh, that was, man, that, was, that worship was good this morning. Worship team, that really encouraged my heart. I appreciate that. Because I, I really just want to continue to talk about the Spirit, who in Ezekiel 37 is like the breath that comes into them and gives life here in the book of Acts, as we saw last week. I just want to kind of pick up where we were last week. He's like the wind. Wind, breath, spirit, it's all the same word, pneuma. And... Uh, and last week we saw that on the day of Pentecost that the wind and the fire came and it came in power and there was a supernatural physical manifestation of little tongues of fire that sat upon each one. Fire throughout uh, the Bible represents the presence of God many times. And there was also an actual physical wind that they felt. And as you continue to read through the book of Acts, you don't continue to see the supernatural physical manifestation of the fire upon each person or feel the supernatural physical manifestation of the wind, Lord, or the wind in their lives, but you do continue to see its effects. And, uh, and all I want to say, say this morning is essentially um, that this is how, guys, the mission of God advances. It always has been, and it always will be, that the Spirit of God does what he does, and nobody can stop it. Nobody can stop it. Um, I was reminded of this, again, this past week, just on a uh, kind of a parallel physical reality, is we got some snow this past week, and so I got four boys, and so at the first sign of flurries, what do they say? No school tomorrow. There's not going to be any school tomorrow. And I just rebuke that in the name of Jesus. I'm like, no, you are going to, no. <laughs> but, we always, but we always have this debate. We always, you know, have this debate. As soon as there's like three flurries coming down, oh, there's not going to be any school. And so their thing is right away, they're like, Daddy, we don't, we don't need to go to bed on time. We can stay up later tonight because we're just certain that there's not going to be any school tomorrow. And I'm like, absolutely not. And so, so what I do is I get out my, 
I get out my phone, and uh, I'm, kind of a, I'm kind of a weather watcher nerd, I guess. Um, I, uh, back when I used to do roofing, uh, we used to do re-roofs, and so the weather was very important to us because there's nothing worse than having the shingles tore off a roof, and before you got them put on, all of a sudden a storm would come upon you. Right, Joe? You remember those, those days? It's, not, it's not, not good. And so, you know, I have like three or four weather apps on my phone, and they're not just all the free ones. Uh, there's one that I paid for. You're like, that's bad stewardship. Don't, don't judge me. Um, but uh, my favorite one is Dark Sky. Anybody have Dark Sky, the app? Yeah, oh, Wes, okay. All right, that's good. That, just me and Wes. But anyway, Dark Sky uh, is, is a good app. And man, it's, it's got like the radar. Well, the thing I like about Dark Sky is the radar is so precise. Like it just, it shows you like right up to the minute. And it literally, it tells me, it, uh, uh, it kind of prophesies to me when the rain is going to come. It'll tell me like rain starting in your location in three minutes. And I'm like, this is what I'm talking about. And so when the boys started telling me about, you know, the snowstorm that's going to come or whatever, I was like, no, no, no. Dark sky says otherwise. And so you're going to bed on time. However, sure enough, wouldn't you know it? Thursday morning, there's no school. And I was reminded, again, that the wind blows where it wants to. And you can't always tell where it's coming from or where it's going. On the flip side of that, there have been other days, in fact, I think Friday was one of them, because I think they just get in a roll where they're like, no school today, there's not going to be any school tomorrow either. And then, you know, and then they were sure that there wasn't going to be school Friday, you know, either, but, but there was school. And so you've got these two, my point is you've got these two sides that like, on the one hand, you know, I'm, I'm looking at all the information and I'm looking at dark sky, I'm looking at my weather app and I'm watching the radar and I'm seeing, you know, a little bit south of us it was rain and of course we were in the area that was snowing but I thought the warm air was going to continue to push up from the south and you know, it was going to turn to rain and all the snow would have melted away, but it didn't and they were right. There was no school. On the other hand, just because there's not school one day, we've also seen the thing where, you know, we hear that we're going to get all this snow, we're going to get uh, all, this, all this cold weather, and then it never comes either because the wind blows where it wants to, and you can't tell where it's coming or where it's going. And, and I guess I say all that just because the more and more I read the book of Acts, I, I'm convinced that this is, I think, Luke's main point through the whole thing is that the wind comes in power in a very physically manifested way on the day of Pentecost, but then throughout the book of Acts, essentially, the, whole, the point of the entire book is the wind continues to do whatever the wind wants to do. And you don't always know where it's going. It came here like this one time, and so you think, hey, it's going to continue to go, but then it, it turns, and it does something different. And I think, you know, when, when you ask the question, and I try to ask this every week of whatever text that we're in is, is what is the author's intended response on our, on our behalf to the reader um, back then and for, us, and for us today? I just think Luke's intended response is that we would in no way limit what the Spirit of God can do. Amen? Guys, the Spirit is God, just like the Father is God, just like the Son is God, and He is free. He is not ruled by anything. He is sovereign and he is free. And our responsibility, our heart cry, our one desire as people that 
have believers that, that have experienced the presence of God in our life and have put our faith and trust in Jesus, that we don't just see him as a man, we don't just see him as a prophet, but that we see him as who he is, the Lord and Savior, very God of very God, who conquered the grave. Our, our job as believers and as disciples is more than anything else just to say, Holy Spirit, where are you blowing? What do you wanna do? Please blow in my life, Please blow in the life of my family. Please blow in the life of my church. But Holy Spirit, help me to follow you. And that we would in no way limit what he can or cannot do or what we think that he has to do. And so that's primarily just what I want to show you from the scriptures this morning. There's a lot of this, but I'm going to pick three ways in which I think we cannot limit the Spirit that we cannot limit how he'll work, we cannot limit who he'll use, and then we also cannot limit where he will send us. Um, because the Spirit is blowing, and again, one of the things we saw last week, him coming on the day of Pentecost, is that Pentecost was a feast of harvest. And just like Jesus came on the feast of Passover, and for years everybody would offer a lamb, but it was pointing forward to the true lamb, Jesus, who would, bring, who would be the perfect sacrifice. In the same way on the day of Pentecost, uh, you know, the ritual was that you would come and that you would bring in your harvest, and you would, you would offer it to the Lord as a sacrifice. But in the same way that Jesus came and was the perfect lamb, that the Spirit now comes, and he brings the better harvest, the harvest that we, that we could never bring. And one of the things that, again, we see the Spirit, we don't always know where he's going, what he's doing, but we know that what he's ultimately up to is that he's bringing in a harvest. He's bringing people, he's bringing people to himself. And for those of you that call Mercy Hill home, I want to ask you a question this morning, and I think this is important so that we hear this and that, so that we understand always in, in some measure kind of what the Spirit wants to do in our life. And, and the question is this, I, here's a question, what, who, who is the future of Mercy Hill Church? So later today, we're going we're gonna to dedicate some families and some babies to the Lord. We're, and all that is, we're just, you know, we're just going to pray for them um, and encourage them as a, as a church family and just pray a blessing on their lives. But who is the future of Mercy Hill Church? Because it's not just those babies. In fact, I would argue that the future of Mercy Hill Church and this better be true, we better get this, is that the future of Mercy Hill Church is not here this morning. The future of Mercy Hill Church is outside of these walls. The future of Mercy Hill Church are people that do not yet know Jesus. That's the future of Mercy Hill Church. And whenever a church begins to believe that the future of the church already exists within a church, and I know, like, yeah, you know, our kids you know, are kind of part of our future, but they're not just the future of the church, they are the church right now, just as much as we are a part of the church. But that the future of our church exists outside of these walls, and we need, we need to understand that because this is what the Spirit came to do. He came to bring a harvest uh, that we could never bring. And so let's look at, begin at Acts chapter five, and I'm gonna kind of <clears throat> pick up a head of steam here and get going kind of fast and just make a couple points along the way, but first of all, just this is that you cannot limit how the Spirit will work. You cannot limit how, how he'll work. Here, here's, here's what happens, Acts chapter five, <coughs> starting in verse 17, it says, but the high priest rose up 
and all those who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. Now, if you go back a couple verses, verse 15 and 16, the reason they're filled with jealousy is that the Spirit is doing supernatural things through the apostles and through the early church. So it says in verse 16 that people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing sick and those who were afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. The Spirit of God is doing supernatural things through the apostles and through the early church. And the religious folks get all bent out of shape about this because uh, religion can mimic a lot of things that God does, but one thing that it cannot mimic is power, actual power. And this is what Jesus promises, that when the Spirit would come, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, comes upon you. And here we see the Spirit sovereignly displaying his power through the disciples and through the early church. And so the religious folks are bent out of shape. And so they get so bent out of shape that, and again, back in that day, and we don't have time to go into all this, but but the religious system and the political system were very inter- intertwined, even more so than they are today. Is that, is that it, and what we're going to see is that God is not in any way limited by religious and uh, political opposition to the message. And I'm going to try to not stop right now and just rant for a while because we're in an election year and I can just feel myself getting all fired up already with people. Listen, I'm, you, 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 God calls you to get involved in politics, you get involved in politics. If God, uh, you, know, you, you know, vote, be an American, whatever, that, that's, that's fine and that's great. But I just want to tell you that there is no higher allegiance, there's no flag that we fly higher than the flag of Jesus Christ. So what it means to be a disciple. And never throughout all of history has God ever been bound by who is or who is not in the White House or in the Kremlin or, or, or any other castle or palace or position anywhere. Jesus is Lord, um, and, he's not, and he's not bound by anything. But anyway, against this religious and political opposition, verse 19 says, but during the night, so, so they arrest him, and then verse 19, during the night an angel of the Lord opened the prison door and brought them out, and he says to them, go and stand in the temple and speak to all the people all the words of this life. That's how he sums up the message of what Christ has come to do, is that he's come to give life. He goes, go tell them all the words of this life. Verse 21, and when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priests came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in prison. And so they returned and they reported. So again, this angel of the Lord supernaturally, uh, even though he allows them to be thrown in prison, he then supernaturally brings them out of prison and he tells them to do the same thing that they had been doing before, namely preaching the word of God telling them about Jesus and this new life that Jesus came to bring. And so they, you know, finally find these guys in the temple, pick it up in verse 25, uh, because they're running around looking for him. And someone came to them, to these soldiers, and said, look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple, and they are teaching the people. And then the captain and the officers went and brought them, not but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them. And then the high priest, the, again, the religious, political powers of that day are now confronting, they're in very direct opposition to, what, uh, to God's people, to what the Spirit of God is doing through God's people. And he says to them, verse 28, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, and yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And, and verse 29, again, guys, folks, don't, don't overcomplicate what God has given us to do, okay? Don't overcomplicate it. Let Peter serve as an example to all of us here. Verse 29, I love this, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Pretty simple, right? 
And again, the Christian life, listen, I'll, I'll give you that it's hard. Jesus said that it's hard. He said, if anybody wants to come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. It's hard, but it ain't complicated. And that's good news. But so many times we sit around and we, and we act like, like we don't know what to do. And I'm not saying that there's not, not seasons where things are confusing and we might not be exactly sure what decision we need to make. And, and you know, we're allowed to ask the Lord for wisdom and, and get in his word and trust that he'll lead us and guide us. But, but listen, so too many times we give too many excuses as to, as to why we're just not living on mission or we're not experiencing any of the life of the Spirit. It's because we're more concerned about obeying people rather than God. But Peter says, we must obey God rather than men. Verse 30, and the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. Again, this is not a seeker-sensitive sermon at all. Peter is not, does not seem to care at all about hurting their feelings. He's just telling it how it is. Verse 31, God exalted him at his right hand, listen, as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. Who is the leader of your life? Is it Jesus? Because he is the leader. One of the things that drives me nuts in the church today at large is there's so much said about leadership, 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 leadership. It's not about leadership, it's about discipleship. And leadership is kind of a sub-category uh, of discipleship, and I'm not saying that it's not important, but so many times we think that, you know, we need to become these better leaders. There is a better leader, and his name is Jesus. And you and I are all not it. He is the better leader. And in any sort of leadership discussion that we're going to have in the church or outside of the church as Christians, we need to start here is that Jesus is the leader and that our leadership is then going to be defined by our followership. Because if there's one leader, then that means you and I are all followers. And yes, we all have leadership influence to a degree, but we are first and foremost followers of the leader, Jesus Christ. Peter says, God exalted him at his right hand as both leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. I've preached some sermons where I've stepped on some toes, but it's never been that bad. But they were enraged and they wanted to kill them. And then I'm not going to spend time on this, but this, this kind of wishy-washy guy, again, he come, his name's Gamaliel. He comes across as really wise, but yet he's not really a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And he gives, again, what seems to be somewhat wise counsel that, well, you know, if this is of God, then we can't stop it. But if it's not of God, you know, then it's going to fail anyway. So, so let's just let him go. I think Gamaliel is, is a type of Christian that you see. So like, they just, just want to ride the fence I'm not really going to follow Jesus, but you know, let's just not, let's not overreact, and there's some good stuff there, but it's about being all in, full on for Jesus. But then here, here now here, here's, here's the point though, okay? So at the end, so they kind of listened to Gamaliel's advice, um, and then verse 40, it says, and when they had called the apostles back in, they don't let them go, but they beat them, and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. And then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, verse 42, and every day in the temple and from house to house they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ was Jesus. Now here, here's the point when I say that we can't limit how he'll work, is that we've just seen 
that God can supernaturally, if he wants to, bring them out of jail, right? He can do that. Like man, man can bind you, throw you in prison, you know, it doesn't matter. Like God is not bound by that at all. He supernaturally brings them out of jail, okay? And then, but then he allows them to get arrested again. And now this time though, could he have, if he could supernaturally bring them out of jail in the middle of the night, could he not also stop them from being beaten? Yes or no? Of course. He could have stopped that, but he didn't. And see, and this is a picture of kind of like, Christians, we, we tend to jump into these ditches on either side of the road. That we think that what it means to live in victory is that the angel of the Lord is always bringing us out of prison. And man, he said, everything that comes in our path is just God's going to give me victory over this. And he, we, yes, he will. But what do you mean by victory? Sometimes, I agree, victory does look like something supernatural. And God gets you out of the jail that you're in. In opposition to the truth, he, he, he tears that thing down. Other times, he allows you to be beaten. He allows you to go through suffering. He allows you to go through difficulty. And here's the thing, guys. He has purposes in them both. We don't always know what the Spirit's going to do. When he bring, here's what I want you to see is that when he brings them out of jail, what do they do? They go and they proclaim all the words of this new life. In verse 42, what do they do after they've been beaten? They rejoice. And then they did not cease, verse 42, teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. So our response, day in and day out, is that we preach Jesus. But don't get bound by what exactly you think that God is going to do because you don't always know. You don't always know. I, I don't understand why God allows the things that he allows sometimes. And you'll hear, you know, you read Proverbs, you read Ecclesiastes especially, you hear Solomon saying the same type of thing. Why are the wicked allowed to prosper? And why do the righteous suffer? Why do the faithful seem to never get any credit and the unfaithful faithful get all the glory? I don't know, but God has purposes in all of it. And our job as his people is to just simply be faithful in proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ and calling people to follow whatever it is that he's doing in their life. <clears throat> but guys, we cannot limit how he'll work and we cannot limit exactly what we think that victory is always gonna look like. Secondly, we cannot limit who he's going to use. Is that, uh, guys, God tends to use some unusual suspects in the scriptures. And in these chapters that we read this past week, we've seen this over and over. First of all, not the most unusual, we'll get to what seems to be the most unusual later on in chapter nine, but first of all, in chapter six, you see God using these two new guys that are coming on the scene. Uh, they're just deacons, deacons, Stephen and Philip. And there's a couple others as well, but we get more information about Stephen uh, and Philip. First of all, Stephen, in the beginning of chapter six, um, there's a complaint that arises that there were Jewish widows and there were Greek Hellenists, Hellenistic widows, um, and the Hellenists were getting overlooked in some of the distribution of food. It was the church's job to take care of the widows and the poor. They took this very seriously. 
and there's a complaint that arises. Again, even the early church had issues, okay? They weren't, they weren't perfect. They were sinners like us. They were trying to follow, follow Jesus and follow the leading of the Spirit as best they could. Uh, but, they, but there's this issue, and so the apostles decide to, you know, um, uh, to, to choose some deacons or to, uh, chosen from among the people uh, so that they can serve this. Verse two, it says, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Again, this is the priority in the church and everybody does it, but the apostles especially are given to this. Verse three, therefore brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Again, priority to the word of God, to prayer, and again to the word. Verse five, and when they, what they'd said pleased the whole gathering and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Okay, down in verse eight, Stephen is also described as a man full of grace and of power. Down in verse 10, he's described again as being full of wisdom and of the Spirit. You know, it, I just wanna say this, is it seems like we love to build the church and a move of God just around individual people. But one of the things as you read the Bible, especially the book of Acts, and as you study church history, is that guys, God does raise men up, and he raises them up to, to proclaim the word and to, um, and to be used, again, not just as pastors or preachers, but in whatever circumstance, God uses people to accomplish his will. Again, we've talked about this before, that the Spirit of God moves through people. Um, but at the same time, it's no one person is ever just to be at the center. Jesus is supposed to be at the center continually. And here you don't, again, Jesus spent three years with these 12 apostles, disciples, um, minus Judas. But then here you've got some new people coming, coming on the scene. And Stephen is a very faithful guy. And I just want to just stop for just a second and speak to many of you that you guys, listen, if you're just faithful, if you're just faithful, to be in the word, to be in prayer, to truly follow Jesus as the Lord of your life. God wants to use you. This is not just for a select few. It's not just for the 12. It's for everybody who is willing. And again, here's, here's what we know about Stephen and about, and about all these deacons, is that they were known to be men that were filled with the Spirit. The, the, the Spirit Guys, is given, and we, we don't have time to go back and look at this, but, but Peter says in one of his earlier sermons in the book of Acts that the Spirit is for everybody who the Lord will call to himself. But to be, we, and as, as believers in Christ, just a little pneumatology here real quickly, is that you know Ephesians chapter one is that having believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. What that means, that, that's Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. What that means is just simply when you believe in Jesus, the spirit of God comes and he lives inside of you. And he's not going anywhere. He will be faithful because of what Christ has done. At the same time, there's a difference between the Spirit being the resident and the Spirit being the president. And this is kind of like what, what my point was last week is that Jesus paid such a great price for the Spirit to be resident, to now reside in us. But so many of us don't take that seriously and seek to be filled with the Spirit every day. 
To be filled with the Spirit is not something that is just for a, for a select few. It is for all those who want to prioritize the Word of God and prayer and following Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior and as their leader. And again, the big picture here of what's going on is that, guys, this is how the church went forward, is that it wasn't just the 12. The church would not have spread if it would have just been the 12 doing everything, but it, was, it spread by faithful men who were known to be full of the Holy Spirit. And it's very simple, but my simple exhortation to each one of you this morning is will you seek to be those people, both men and women, that are willing to wake up every day and say, the number one priority, no matter what other priorities are coming at me for men today, I'm not saying they're not important, but the number one thing that I will do is seek with all my heart first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And Jesus said that if we do that, if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that all these things will be added unto you. It's just his way of saying, like, if you put me first, everything else is going to fall into place. Guys, he, he is the sun. And it, you know, the sun is the center of our solar system. And if it was not the center of our solar system, if we, we could somehow, as a planet, not, uh, not be revolving around the sun, we would shoot off into nothingness. We would shoot off into outer space. We, as a planet, we we're made to be centered around the gravita gravitational pull of the sun. This is what it means to make Jesus Lord, to set him at the center of your life. This is what I mean when sometimes I'll use the phrase gospel-centered, is that are we centered on the gospel, on what Jesus Christ came to do both for us and now that he wants to do through us? And there is absolutely, positively, no limit to who he can use if we trust him and if we follow him. And again, not knowing how God always works, here you see that uh, Stephen, he, man, he's like a bright, burning shooting star that shoots across the sky of the early church <coughs> for a brief time, and then he's killed. He's killed because he's faithful. And they bring these false accusations against him, and he's, you know, God is displaying grace and power and the gospel through him. And he stands up and preaches, preaches the sermon. We don't have time to go into all of it. But again, he's not worried about pleasing man. He's not worried about stepping on toes. The end of his sermon at the end of chapter 7, uh, he comes uh, to verse 51 and he kind of he makes one, he, he preaches for a long time through a history of the Old Testament. And his point is just simply that God has always been on the move, that God's never been bound to just one place like the temple um, as the, the Pharisees and the religious rulers thought that he was. And then he comes to verse 51, and here's his one closing application, okay? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. <laughs> so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And when they hear these things, verse 54, now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And when they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And so you see here Paul linking these, um, these two men, Stephen and Saul. Verse 59, and as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, 
he fell asleep. Beginning in chapter 8, a great persecution breaks out against the church. Again, you see in those verses that, Paul, that Luke seems to link the life of Stephen and the life of Saul, who will become Paul. And if you'll skip over to chapter 9, you see Luke continuing this story now of Saul, one of the guys who uh, um, was approving of them stoning Stephen. So you guys got a stone? You need some more lever here? I'll hold your coat. Give me your coat while you chuck the stones at him. Beginning at chapter 9, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, and he asked for letters to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And so Saul is still doing his thing. Now, now here's the thing, okay? Here was my point earlier on, is that we cannot limit who he will use. Because if, if, if I'm God and I'm writing this story, I'm looking at Stephen, just, just Deacon Stephen, this faithful guy in the early church, willing to daily set aside his time and give, and give you know, priorities and, and focus them on just helping these widows in the early church. And man, he's, he's preaching and he's faithful and he doesn't fear man and he's full of wisdom and grace and power, loves the Lord. I'm like, man, this guy, this guy needs to be put into, into leadership. We need, to, we need to make him an elder. We need to send him out to plant a church. We need to, we need to do something with Stephen, man. Stephen is bursting with potential. God says, oh, no, I'm actually going to let him die. And the guy that I'm going to use is one of the guys who helped kill him. See, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think of that. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't write the story that way. But the Spirit blows where he wants to, and he does what he wants, and you just you can never fully tell how he's going to work, and you can never fully tell who he's going to use. And again, just a very simple exhortation this morning, guys, is that let's not think that God is ever limited by not just religious and political opposition, but also by personal opposition or by hatred of the gospel. There is absolutely nobody that God cannot change. And I want to look at Saul's life here and how he comes to know the Lord in verse 9, or in, I'm sorry, in chapter 9. And again, I, I would want to say that primarily... And we'll go back in a little bit and look a little bit at chapter 8. That the, primar- the primary way that God usually draws people to himself is through other people preaching the gospel. But Paul, Saul, has kind of a special calling on his life here to be a- an apostle. And so that means that Jesus needs to deal directly with him. And I just want to say, God can do this. God can do this. And here's what God does. Look at chapter 9, verse 3. And it says, Now as he went on his way... This is Saul, and again, as he's going, he's going to arrest Christians. He approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. See how Jesus closely identifies with his church? He says, you're not just persecuting my people, you're persecuting me. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And so he's kind of blind, and there's some men that are there standing speechless with him, and, and they don't know what to do. But here's the, th- here's the thing, guys, okay? I want you to see, and I want you to deal with, even though you may not fully understand it, as I don't fully understand it, but I just want to make the point clear, is that the Spirit does whatever he wants to do. And God, by Spirit, I mean, and the Father and the Son, they're all, they're all one, they're in agreement. They do whatever they want to do. Here's a guy. He is not seeking 
He's not a seeker. He's not like, oh, tell me more about this Christianity, and I've just got a couple questions, and, you know, I think if I can get those questions answered, then, you know, maybe I'll come to, like, he is adamantly opposed to the ways and purposes of God. God is doing this, and he says, I hate this. I'm going to kill people that are a part of this. That, that's, that's who he is. And God says, I will make you mine. You're mine. And all I want us to get at this morning is that the sovereign God has total freedom to do that. Amen? Guys, there is nobody that he cannot change. You know, it's really interesting right now, and I, hear me, I'm not going to fully go here. I'm not going to give you an answer because I don't know, but God knows. But it's, it's funny how Christians right now are debating this whole thing about whether Kanye West is really a Christian or not. Have you heard about this? Yeah, uh-huh, you've been following, uh-huh, don't be, yeah, you've been reading the blogs, I know. I don't know. I don't know Kanye's heart necessarily any more than I know your heart. See the fruit of your life, but I, mean, I, don't, I don't ultimately know. The Lord knows those who are his. But I would just, I would, I would ask you this though. Is Kanye beyond the righteous right hand of God that can reach down and save people? No. There is nobody that God cannot save. No matter what their past was like. And again, I don't, I don't know. But I know that he could be. I know that if God so chooses to save Kanye, he can absolutely do that. And there is nobody uh, that no matter what they've done or who you are and what you've done, that the blood of Christ is not enough for the payment of your sin, even when it's killing Christians. Um, And God makes him his. And we just don't know who he'll use. And I'll tell you what, I just, I pray that as one of the leaders here at the church, that God would please keep me from myself and keep me from being like Samuel and like Jesse, who when God had somebody that he wanted to use, a David, that we would not look on outward appearance. Because that doesn't matter to God at all. Nor does it matter what you've done in your past. That God can still use you. And that God would give us eyes to see the unusual suspects that he wants to raise up um, in our midst. One other thing here that we shouldn't limit. Guys, we should not and cannot limit where the Spirit will send you and how he'll get you there. Very quickly, I won't spend a lot of time on this, but in chapter 8, one of my favorite stories um, in all the Bible, the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip is beginning of chapter 8. He's also, and this is not uh, the apostle Philip. This is, again, just the guy that's a deacon along with Stephen in the early church. And, um, and he's going out and he's, you know, there's a great persecution that breaks out against the church at the beginning of chapter 8 after they stone Stephen. And it says that everybody, uh, in chapter 8, verse 4, it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word, and Philip, also one of them, went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed there the Christ. Again, what are they preaching? They're just talking about Jesus. Day in, day out. That's what, that's what they're talking about. And um, so Philip sees great revival in these, in these cities. And uh, he's seeing a lot of people come to the Lord. And then verse 26, okay? Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then then says, little commentary by Luke, and this is a desert place. Let me just paraphrase that. 
God speaks to Philip and he goes, I want you to go down and I want you to stand in the middle of nowhere. What? But Lord, I'm, I'm seeing revival here in the city. I'm a city man. I'm a city boy. I'm a metropolitan man. This is, this is where I'm called to. These are my people. God says, no, I want you to go down and I want you to stand in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> but he's obedient. He's obedient. And he goes down. And I want you to see how this leading of the Spirit happens in, in stages in our life. And he arose and he went. No debate with the Spirit. He just says, he goes, he rose and he went. And there was, it was verse 27, an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem to worship, and was returning seated on his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And now again, here comes this guy right in his chariot on his way back from Jerusalem. He's an Ethiopian. He's not a native Jew, okay? But again, the Spirit, what's the Spirit doing? He's bringing in a harvest, and he knows where the harvest needs to happen, and he can save 3,000 people in a day, but he can also save one individual in a day. And he's always working. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip goes down, and he doesn't just assume that because he's there, this is the guy he's supposed to talk to, but he listens for the leading of the Spirit. Verse 30, so Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet and asked him, do you understand what you are reading? Verse 31, and he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb, before it shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this, about him or about someone else? You talk about God going before you to prepare the way. And I wanna, I wanna just focus in here, and again, I, I don't, this is pretty simple this morning, is just looking what's happening in the word and then just, just exhorting us. But guys, I, I just, if I can just be honest, okay, and I say this very, um, very humbly and, and uh, openly and fallibly, okay, the only thing that's infallible is the word of God. I don't know, but I just felt like the Spirit was really pressing this on my heart this past week in regards to this issue, and again, and how we'll see him work some more in Philip's life here, is, is that I, I, I just feel like there maybe are some people here this morning that God is pressing something on your heart to do but you're not obeying because it just doesn't make sense. You've been seeing him work over here and he's working in Samaria like it was you know, through Philip and he's, he's, do, he's doing good stuff and you're like, I can't, this can't be me. This had to be the bad chili that I ate last night. Because why, go down to the desert road? What? Doesn't make any sense. And I, and I just wanna encourage you this morning to just Again, lay your heart open before God and allow him to speak to you. But if he does, listen to me, obey him. Obey what he is leading in your life. There is no limit to where he'll send you or to how he might want to get you there. And I felt like there was something else very specific that came up as I was praying about this this past week. If you'll continue to read here, you know, Philip baptizes this guy, the guy gets saved, you know. And again, the Spirit is the one that led him in all this. The Spirit worked it all out. Um, and then Philip baptizes him, and in verse 39, it says, and when they came up out of the water, and I get this, and I said this is one of my favorite stories. I like the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, but like, if you, and this is, this is a very carnal, fleshly way to think about this, but if I can just be honest, I have these little conversations in my mind sometimes. 
is that like, like what would be your favorite miracle? Like if you could just pick a miracle, what would it be? Like walking on water like Peter did, the five thousands. I, I, think, I think I would want this. this. This is so cool to me. It just says that he, they came up out of the water and the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And then the beginning of verse 40, it, it says, and Philip found himself at Azotus. That, that's, that's a city like 50 miles away from roughly where he was. So Philip's ministering to this guy down in, you know, Kilbuck uh, on just a road out in the middle of nowhere. And if you're from Kilbuck, like I'm not saying that's the middle of nowhere. I mean, it kind of is, but anyway, it's outside of Kilbuck. But, um, but he's ministering to this guy, baptizes him in the Kilbuck Creek, you know, or whatever, comes up, boom, and, he, and all of a sudden he finds himself up in Canton. It's like, there, there, there he is. And, and, here's, and, he, and here's the point. It's again, it's kind of specific, but I just, I don't know. I trust that maybe this is for somebody this morning. Is I think so many times, guys, I hear this all the time, is God puts something on somebody's heart, and this is the type of, this is the type of conversation that we begin to have with God. Is we say, God, but you don't understand. I got a job. I got responsibilities. Lord, I got a wife. I got kids. Lord, I've got a mortgage. Lord, I've got debt, and I'm just, I don't, you know, the borrower is servant to the lender, and so here I am, and I'm just, I'm just, I'm just stuck. Listen to me. If God can pick Philip up and supernaturally just transport him into a city 50 or so miles away, your debt, your mortgage, your circumstance, your family, your responsibilities, your job are not too difficult for him. Amen? If he wants to, he can rearrange all of that, and he can get you where he wants to get you. The question is not whether or not he can work to move all that around. The question is, are you willing to go? Are you willing to go where he wants to send you? Now hear me, I have no idea. I have no idea what's going on in your life. Maybe the Lord is calling you just to absolutely stay put. Terrific, that's great. But one of the things that I think that we, it's a paradigm shift that we need to flip, that needs to get flipped in our minds, is that most of us as Christians, um, we just assume that when we follow Jesus, that Jesus is just, he, he's not gonna mess up our life at all. Like he's, this is what I was doing before and this is what I'm gonna continue to do. And listen to me, I don't, that may be so. That may be so. But as you read the narrative of the book of Acts and how the spirit, he doesn't just stay in Jerusalem and just blow and blow and blow in Jerusalem and fire and fire in the presence of God in Jerusalem. He's blowing throughout the earth because there's a harvest that needs to come in. And maybe you've been feeling that, but you've just not been sure how you could rearrange anything. Here would be my exhortation to you. Just surrender it to him. Just trust him. And maybe you're here this morning, and maybe right now this morning, as we're talking about this, you're sensing the Spirit saying, this is for you. I want you to go. I want to re and again, maybe going means across the world. Maybe going just means across the street. I don't know. But the entire point of the spirit of the wind living inside of you is so that he can lead you and guide you. Worship team, you can come up and we're gonna, and we're gonna close. Um, 
Guys, following Jesus, I've been following Jesus for about 20 years now. And by following, I mean very imperfectly, definitely seasons where I'm obedient and other seasons where I'm very disobedient because I want what I want and, um, and I just, uh, and I don't want to go. But I want to tell you that apart from salvation itself, knowing Jesus is your Savior, knowing that your sins are forgiven, knowing that you're going to be with him forever in heaven someday, knowing that you're sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, apart from that, apart from that, there is absolutely, positively, no greater joy than just trusting him in the day-to-day and following him and seeking to be filled with the Spirit and go where he's going. And we absolutely cannot manufacture it. We cannot make it happen. But we are absolutely responsible to obey when he's calling you to do this. Amen? And I, <clears throat> there was a, <clears throat> I was thinking about this this morning as we were praying during our, during our prayer time. Is, uh, Alan, I don't know if you remember this, but Alan, uh, Alan's like, what are you going to about to say right now? You, 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 may, you put me on my toes a lot, so I'm going to put you on your toes here this morning. But Alan used to own some chicken coops um, back where the Walnut Creek Cheese Warehouse is now. I don't think that they tore down the chicken coops, right? Yeah, they're gone. Way back in the day, um, when I used to travel with these, these guys, we, we, we traveled out west and we came back and we, uh, and we wanted to do some youth rallies. And so we had this series of youth rallies in a place, the only place that we could find for free, which was Alan's Chicken Coops. <laughs> Thanks, Alan. And, um, and man, it was awesome. And God moved. And it was, we did it, in the, it was on Thanksgiving weekend in the fall of 2000. And that season and leading out of there, it was probably the closest thing to revival that I've ever personally experienced. When people talk about revival, like that was that weekend and many of the things that got birthed out of that, it was, it was, absolutely, it was absolutely awesome. And uh, God opened up so many doors. I don't have time to go into all of that. But, um, but I'll never forget is that again, the spirit just blowing where it wants to is that it was probably five or six years later. Um, God had moved a lot of us around that were part of that at the beginning. And then, um, but we were, we were hungry for God to do something again, but we were trying to manufacture it. We were trying to make it happen. And so we, the, the chicken coops were not tore down yet. And we said, let's have another, let's have another series of meetings, another series of youth rallies at the chicken coop. And so we went, and so we went back to the chicken coop, and uh, it wasn't that great. <laughs> it wasn't that great. It wasn't like it had been before, because listen, God never, he never moves in the same way twice exactly, right? It's all about day by day, moment by moment, week by week, just simply following him. And I, and I say that because just as we close, I, guys, so many of us here, I believe, have, we've experienced the power of the Spirit. And it's good, and I'm not making light of it at all. I know that you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. But it's not going to be the same thing twice. He wants to lead you on. He wants to lead you into something new. And again, all I want to tell you this morning is just, even if it's new and it's 
ground that you're not familiar with. Just trust him. Just trust him. Father, I thank you for being good to us. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the reality of your spirit. And I thank you, Lord, for in advance for whatever it is that you want to do in us and among us. Um, God, I pray that as we continue to worship and as we come to the Lord's table today, I just pray